From Washington, this is Political Theater, Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. One of the biggest fights the Supreme Court is frequently asked to settle is over the role of money in elections. From cases like Citizens United versus Federal Election Commission that paved the way for super PACs to a more recent ruling that struck down overall contribution limits to candidates, the high court's rulings frame how elections are run in America. Now with the nomination of federal judge Brett Kavanaugh to replace retiring Justice Anthony Kennedy, the Supreme Court is more in focus than ever, and Kavanaugh's nomination has already spurred massive spendings from both foes and friends. In this edition of Political Theater, my colleague Kate Ackley and I will discuss such campaign finance issues with Kimberly Reed, the director of the documentary Dark Money, and Trevor Potter, a former FEC commissioner, advisor to Senator John McCain's presidential campaign, and founder of the Campaign Legal Center. Welcome to Political Theater, all of you. Thanks Thank you. for having Thank us. Thank you. So, Kimberly, let's talk uh, just quickly just about the setup for the the movie. You uh, you're you're a Montana native, as, as I mentioned, and so you, you know the state, and it's a it's a familiar one to you. Uh, Helena is the the capital where we spend a lot of time in the in the movie is is your hometown. Um, but this this seemed to take a, a a lot of years, and you you're able to get a lot of information and a lot of election cycles into it. What was the genesis of the project? When did it start, and how how long did it take you to complete this film? Because you do uh, you 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 pick up a lot of different election cycles uh, in it, and a lot of the issues that come up in in different years. Yeah, you know, I think I think the real genesis of the film was in 2010 when I heard about the Citizens United decision from the Supreme Court. And I, you know, like a lot of people, that didn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, and I think, like a lot of people, I didn't know quite what to do with it. Um, and I thought about it for a couple of years until in 2012, the attorney general uh, in Montana had a case that looked like it was going to go to the Supreme U.S. Supreme Court. And this is Steve Bullock. This uh, is a, who is who is now the governor. Of, Steve of Bullock at the time, yes, he started as AG and then um, had in in the interim became elected governor. I think in large part because he tackled this issue that was, uh, I think, important to a lot of people in Montana. And when I saw that case going to the to the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, not only was it a galvanizing moment for that one issue, that one case uh, that had the ability to challenge Citizens United, um, it also seemed to me as a storyteller who likes to tell stories about real people doing real things instead of uh, abstract concepts, which is what often happens with, with campaign finance issues, right? You end up talking about bar graphs and you know these, these abstract concepts. Um, it just seemed like we could tell a story. So I started uh, following that in May of 2012, and I was hoping it would be over in about six months. Um, <laughs> oh, you were about, in for a big surprise there. <laughs> it took about <laughs> six years um, instead. But in doing so, as you say, um, it enabled us to follow the issue over multiple election cycles. And when you're trying to follow money in politics, when you're trying to follow these mostly 501c4 groups that are popping up and disappearing and changing their names all the time. Um, it really helps to follow them over elect multiple election cycles. So you can, you can, you know, play along with that game of whack-a-mole that always happens. 
Trevor, uh, Kate and I were talking a little bit as we were, um, you know, kind of gaming out our own <laughs> strategy for for what questions we wanted to ask and, and some of the topics that came up. I mean, you've been at this for a long time. You know, you were in the FEC in the 90s. Uh, you're, you're now still at the forefront of these issues at the Campaign Legal Center. How have these issues changed? I mean, how has the, the landscape changed just in these six years that we're talking about the, since the inception of the documentary and, and what the we're in the middle of an election cycle now? And, and actually some of these people like John Tester, who is in the movie, he's up for re-election himself uh, th- this year. What are, how have the issues changed in campaign finance? Well, one of the things I really love about this film, Dark Money, is that it illustrates what's gone wrong and what has gone wrong contrary to the court's expectations since Citizens United. Politics is just child's play to business. They know how to manipulate the system. You can buy the politicians, you can buy the judges. Uh, This is a film where what I would call sort of average citizen state legislators end up uh, being ambushed by advertising that came out of nowhere and they can't figure out who or why. There are no recorded donors. Uh, some of them lose as a result. Uh, the advertising is the sort of, you know, so-and-so still beats their spouse type of advertising. Right. It was vicious personal attacks without any apparent ideological agenda. Right before the election and, and leaving almost no time to respond yeah. to. Right before the election, how do you respond Uh, to something that basically says you're a terrible person sent to all of your constituents. uh, And you can't attack the person and their reasoning because you don't know who it is. So that is what the Supreme Court said in Citizens United would not happen. Justice Kennedy's uh, famous, uh, because inaccurate now, uh, language was uh, that for the first time, corporations will be able to spend money in federal elections, but citizens will know who is paying for the advertising and will be able to judge it based on that disclosure, and shareholders will know how their corporation's money is being spent and can object if they don't like it. And every piece of those statements has proved inaccurate, uh, not the way things have played out. And so what I love about the film is it does such a good job of graphically showing this, and I I think it does a great job of explaining that we wouldn't know any of this, there wouldn't have been a film, without the actions of local journalists in investigating this, and the the Watergate line, follow the money, turns out to be uh, what had to happen in Montana to unveil this. But the great problem is that all of this is, in many ways, sort of contrary to the ethos of our democracy and and to, I think, the nobler views on the court on campaign finance, which is we ought to have an unfettered discussion publicly amongst citizens about policies and candidates. Uh, One reason the court has disliked some of the restrictions on money in politics is the sense that it will prevent people from speaking and having that kind of a public discussion. But there's no discussion when one side is speaking from behind a, a screen. You have no idea who they are. Uh, and, and the unfortunate reality is that sort of speech tends to just be uh, an attack mode, a sort of hate speech about the person who's being criticized. So it doesn't, in fact, lead to a discussion of underlying issues. The other two things that are really interesting that come out in the film about 
Montana and the setting of it there is first that these were attacks on, in many cases, incumbent Republican legislators uh, so that this was not dark money being spent uh, by Republicans against Democrats. This was money being spent against Republicans, so it makes it more of a, a bipartisan issue. And then it turned out, once everything had been revealed, that it was out-of-state money. So it was Montanans being attacked by out-of-state corporate interests without knowing it. And I think both of those are going to resonate in other states. Uh, people like to think that they have some uh, participation and ownership of their election system. And so having secret out-of-state interests coming in and trying to change the composition of the legislature, which is the agenda in Montana, uh, it does not sit well with either party. Go ahead, Kate. You got a, you got a comment about this because we were talking a little bit about how this has morphed and what we're seeing in some of the our current politics races we're following. Yeah, absolutely. And Kimberly, I was wondering if you were starting this documentary now, um, do you think that it would be internet ads or internet postings that have replaced those mailers that you saw starting in 2012 from these dark money groups, or how do you think it's it's changed just over the 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 years, uh, you know, the years since you, you wrapped it up. Yeah, I, th I think that one of the things that made Montana a really good case study to allow us to kind of step through the way these, these dark money groups work on, on the ground in a typical election, the reason that that made for a good case study is because Montana saw some of the earliest uh, dark money attacks and um, saw that weaponized as a as a tool on the on the state level in in state elections you saw it really pioneered in 2008 um, as a technique coming from what ultimately turned out to be uh, pioneered by the national right to work uh, committee even though that was uh, pioneered in 2008 the lid kind of was blown off of that in 2010 once the spending became unlimited. You could just accomplish so much more with those same techniques. But what you could really see happening, and we were talking about following these multiple election cycles, is that um, you could almost just watch an idea spring up, um, especially in, in 2012, I think, in the, in the national elections that hit during that cycle that idea of using 501c4 groups as a political vehicle, not as a social welfare nonprofit as they were designed, but as a, as a, as a way to engage in political speech um, precisely so that you did not have to disclose the donors. And that's, I think, what led in large part to what Trevor's talking about, how that, um, the nature of that speech is almost always negative. It's almost always attacking. It almost always is is, you know, really poisoning the political dialogue that we're having and um, is leading to what in the case of Montana was a bunch of postcards that would land in mailboxes a day or two or a week before elections when the other candidate had no chance to respond. I was actually talking to one of the, the subjects uh, in the film, the, uh, an investigative journalist named John Adams, who we follow. John Adams here. I covered the legislature for the Great Falls Tribune. A source of mine had come across something that I might be interested in. 
voters in your district had never seen something. Not, no, no, this was a whole new political attack. They send out all these mailings. They don't care if they lie. Nobody knows who they are. They call them dark money groups, and that's exactly what they are. Could he have had a better casting, a central casting name? Uh, he has a, a founding father's it's name. A, it's a little and, bit on the nose. John I, S. Adams. Could not have chosen that one. <laughs> yeah, he's straight out of central casting. I was talking to him the other day, but like if you wanted to pull the same scheme in a state election and, you know, do it this fall, uh, people wouldn't be using postcards. Right. People would be taking out Facebook ads. And that is um, it's actually one of, the, one of the last lines in the film about how all of this mechanism of dark money spending in state elections that we looked at, all of that is moving online. Mm -hmm. All of it is moving to, to Facebook ads and Google ads. Right. And Trevor, is the, um, is the, the campaign finance system set up to, to deal with that, even, even now in our sort of post-Russia investigation world? Right. It's a great question because it clearly wasn't set up in 2016. There was no disclosure of any kind of where these ads were coming from, who was paying for them. I think the problem with the efforts that have been made by Facebook and some of the other uh, social media companies here is that what they've said is we will be able to disclose who is paying for the ad. That may mean that it's going to say paid for by Americans for a better country. And if that's who bought the ad, that's who they're going to disclose. And it will tell us nothing. It will be right where we were with the postcards in Montana, which is a P.O. box uh, out of state and no human attached to it. Uh, or perhaps a, you know, a lawyer or a person who has registered the entity with the state, but is not actually the brains behind it or the money behind it. So I think we're going to have the same problem going forward uh, with social media in terms of hidden money being able to come in and basically do a drive-by shooting, and the disclosure we'll get will be the a, a clue, perhaps, uh, if you have the press willing and able and with resources to follow it up to try to figure out who is behind it, which is what happened in, in Montana, is a savvy investigative reporter with a, a fair amount of lucky breaks uh, was able to uh, get some more information, and, and that might easily not have, have happened and may not happen with, with uh, social media ads in the future. You're listening to Roll Call's Political Theater Podcast. Uh, I want to remind everyone that they can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and NPR One, and please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. And now back to our discussion with Kimberly Reed and Trevor Potter. You mentioned, you know, John Adams and in his sort of journey. You know, he he starts out as a as a as a reporter for is is it Lee newspapers? That it's, he's a Gannett a, it's, newspaper. a, it's a Gannett newspaper, um, and and he loses his job and he goes through this sort of dark night of the soul where he's living in his truck and living on friends in friends' cabins and he kind of is despairing really, and then forms the you know the the Montana Free Press of of which he's still the editor, a nonprofit venture to to look into these things. That was one part of the equation that the press was really kind of all over this in in Montana, and there was another uh, another re reporter that you featured, Chuck Johnson, who was at Lee Newspapers, and 
you know, they shut the bureau down in Helena, the, the lead newspaper chain, which was ironically formed to keep the copper companies, the mining companies, you know, accountable. Um, you know, they, it, it's this sort of weird turnaround where, you know, he, he's sort of sent packing too. And, and it's only by, by you said, by, by some luck uh, and luck and pluck a little bit that people are being held accountable, which is, that's not terribly comforting. It's great. It's a great human story, but it's like, wow, we're just hanging on by a thread as journalists in, in places like this. I won't spoil the, the storyline, but the break in Montana was a box of records uh, that turns up with the legal authorities that they can then use to piece together what actually happened here. And the chances of that happening are awfully small. Of course, you know, the post, uh, the Spielberg movie just came out at the end of last year. And it's almost this thing of, you know, things just sort of t- turn up uh, at, at very opportune times. It's, it's almost kind of unbelievable that it turned out this way. Yeah, and it, it really does turn on these accidental disclosures that happen. We talk about a couple of them in Montana. We talk about um, the some pretty famous John Doe cases in the state of Wisconsin and how after the fact we've seen what really led up mm-hmm. to those cases and seen not only the legislative branch of their government, their state government, um, kind of fall prey to the influence of dark money, but also the executive and then the judicial branch so that, you know, nobody's, nobody's watching, watching over things. I think it also goes to show when you see what happens when you get these accidental disclosures when you see what happens when these the lights accidentally get flipped on, and I think it goes to show how important disclosure is. And as as uh, Trevor was saying earlier, the the U.S. Supreme Court in Citizens United assumed that this disclosure would be happening all the time, and it's not. It's actually mandated in the Citizens United decision um, that all of what we're saying here is predicated on the fact that we're going to know where this money is coming from. So, you know, one of the keys to changing things from here on out is to is to make sure that that disclosure, which is called for in Citizens United, is actually enforced. Go ahead, Trevor. The other aspect of Citizens United is uh, that this spending, the court said, may be unlimited so long as because it is independent of the candidates or the parties. And so the reference to turning the lights on in Wisconsin is you turn the lights on and you discover they're all in bed together. Right. This is not independent of the candidates. And uh, that means that it does not have uh, the protection that unlimited speech would, would have in the Citizens United case, which makes it all the more important that we know what's going on because the court assumed there would be no corruption if it was really independent. Uh, thus, we need to know whether it's independent. We need to be able to enforce the rules for independence. And you can't do it if it's all secret and, and happening in the dark. One point uh, that was made in the film I, that sort of struck me was this idea that there, since we don't know the sources of money funding these uh, C, 501c4 nonprofit groups and other political organizations that there, I think it was Ann Ravel, who was a former FEC commissioner who said this, that um, there's probably a lot of foreign money in our elections. I don't know if that's maybe the case in Montana or at the state level, but certainly there's uh, evidence that there might be foreign money in our federal elections. 
did you uh, get at that at all? Um, is that could that be a, a second documentary, or what do a you sequel? make? <laughs> Dark Money Strikes Back. Yeah, or... <laughs> I, I think I got a couple a couple to make. That's the problem, right? There's no way to tell, especially once we start talking about these online donations. I mean, I think Facebook has been um, saying that the way that they would validate that money was domestic money was if they got a a postcard that was postmarked in the United States of America. <laughs> and I can think of a, a couple ways to get around that. Um, but yes, yes, it's there's there's no way to tell that's the problem. But, but let's be clear what the problem is. It is that it's so easy to have foreign money come in because it'll be a U.S. entity that pays for the ad. It'll be a C4, perhaps, which is common. Uh, it could be some Delaware corporation that does. You don't know who the shareholders are. You don't know who the donors are to the C4. If they're at all clever, they have both so that the foreign money goes to the Delaware Corporation, which gives to the C4, and then the C4 can certify that all its donors are American entities. But there's no way to look behind it, and, and that's how foreign money w will come in. It won't. I mean, the fact that it came into Facebook in rubles uh, is is extraordinarily dumb uh, <laughs> in, in terms of, of trying to hide anything. Uh, I, I would anticipate that people trying to spend foreign money in 2020 will be uh, at least uh, incrementally more intelligent about how they hide it. Well, Kimberly, Trevor, thank you so much for dropping by Political Theater and talking about the movie. It's, uh, it's part courtroom drama, part investigative journalism, mystery. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of... It's got a little bit of everything, everything and uh, I, uh, I wish you well with, with the film. Thanks so much. I'm Jason Dick. You can catch Dark Money in New York opening on Friday, July 13th, and it will be in Washington uh, on July 20th at the E Street Cinema. Thank you for joining us. And again, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, on NPR One. And for this and other stories, you can visit RollCall.com or find us on Twitter at RollCall. Thank you very much for listening.